0: Sing a couple of songs, then we'll have a reading and prayer. Andrew Viller will be um, delivering that, and we'll sing another song, and then the lesson by Chris. Uh, At the close, Greg Sullivan uh, will lead us in closing prayer. First song is number 421, "Love Lifted Me." If you will rise, if it's convenient for you, and we'll sing this song while standing.
1: I was sinking deep in sin, far from the peaceful shore.
0: songs number 482. 482. Oh, listen to our wondrous story.
2: Scripture reading for tonight. It's coming from First Timothy chapter six verses six to eight. First Timothy chapter six verses six to eight. But godliness with but godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, these will be content. Would you bow with me, please? Dear Lord, thank you for uh, thank you for this day that you've given us today, Lord. Thank you for the rain that you blessed us with yesterday and the beautiful sunshine today. And I uh, thank you for uh, bringing us all here tonight, Lord, to sing songs of praise to you and hear a lesson on your word, Lord. And I pray that you'll allow the lesson to be delivered in a way that it touches and impacts us, that we can uh, apply it to our daily lives, Lord. And I pray that you'll be with all those that are on the sick list, Lord. I pray that you'll uh, give them healing, give them strength, and be with their families as well, Lord. And I pray that you'll bless the service that will be done in a way that's pleasing and acceptable to you, Lord. And I ask all this in your son's name. Amen. If
0: you want to mark it in your book, Song of Invitation will be number 744, 744. And the song before the lesson will be number 583, Sing to Me of Heaven. Well, I said you stand again, if you will. All three verses. <laughs> Sing to me, i
1: heaven. Sing that song.
3: Calling inside out, um, and we're looking at some of the attitudes that are pleasing to Christ. Some of the attitudes that that we should have, um, that we need to work on maybe a little bit. Some things that maybe we struggle with a bit, um, and I think that will be helpful for us. So uh, we're going to start with contentment. Uh, you heard tonight, um, Andrew Reed for you, First Corinthians, or Sorry, 1 Timothy chapter 6, uh, verses 6 through 8. Paul talks about godliness with contentment uh, and that being uh, incredible gain. It's something that uh, we should all strive for, right? So tonight we're talking about contentment. And we're looking at uh, the very first story that we want to look at is, is when Jesus calms the storm. So think, think back with me for just a minute about that episode in history so you remember the story right jesus is asleep in the boat he's asleep in the stern of the boat and the disciples are paddling all of a sudden a storm comes upon them and it's a rager Uh, the storm is very fierce and so uh, they think they're about to die and they walk over to jesus i'm sure they don't walk i'm sure they run and stumble because the waves are so uh, strong but they they make their way over to jesus in the stern of the boat and they wake him up and they're shouting, don't you even care that we're dying? We're about to die, don't you even care? Um, and he immediately rebukes the wind and the wave, right? That's not what he does, is it? He's going to do that. This is the, this is the story where he says, peace, be still, and the, the waves stop. And the disciples look at each other and they're amazed at This man who can even control the winds and the waves, they don't have a very good grasp on who he is yet and what kind of power he has yet. They're going to get there. But just now they don't don't have a very good grasp on who he is, what he came to do, and the power that he has. And so this amazes them. But he's going to do something before he calms the wind and the waves. Do you remember what he does? He looks at the disciples and he says, Where's your faith? questions where their faith is I wonder how many of us would be in that same boat with them if we were in a storm like that one physical or metaphorical how many times have we been in a metaphorical storm like that and went to him in prayer and, and said something very similar to what they say don't you even care and if he could talk back to us like he did to them Might he not say something similar that he said to them? Where's your faith? He's got to calm the storm in them before he can calm the storm outside of them. Right? So, as we think about contentment, we understand that this is not something that is contingent upon all the things that are going on around us. Flip over to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4, Paul's got a lot to say about contentment, and he says a little bit of it here in Philippians chapter 4. Of course, Philippi, we've we've talked about them a little bit in the past uh, recently as we've we've met them on the Sunday morning mission trips um, with Paul. But this is an incredible congregation. He's proud of them. He calls them his crown and his joy. This is a good congregation who loves to do what's right, who longs to be closer to him. Um, They have put their money where their mouth is, so to speak. They're willing uh, to financially help Paul, but they're also willing uh, to to do without. And and Paul says, "I, I know All about doing without. Uh, Look down in Philippians chapter 4, verses, uh, still starting verse 11. This is after they've sent him the financial gift. And and he kind of tells them, Don't, that was really nice. I appreciate what that says about your heart. I love what that says about your faith that you felt the need, the desire, you had this desire to be able to help someone in need and to be able to. Help spread the gospel. That says an incredible amount about your faith. And Paul says, I, I like what it says about your faith, but don't do that again. Don't send me money again like that. Um, check out what he says in verse 11, though. Philippians chapter 4, verse 11. He says, not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Where's Paul at when he writes that letter? When he writes Philippians, where's he at? He's in a prison cell. And so it's awfully difficult for us to put ourselves in his situation and say these words. He says, I'm not not saying that I'm in need. I'm not saying that I'm, I'm wanting, I'm content, I'm perfectly happy right where I'm at. That's difficult, right? How many of us could say something similar? Paul has learned how to be content here. And I'm curious whether this is something, maybe it's just part of being an apostle. These guys are incredible, right? Paul's going to be bitten by a viper on, on the hand when he's shipwrecked on the Isle of Malta. Uh, And he's going to shake it off in the flames, and they think he's going to die, but he doesn't because he's an apostle, and they can withstand uh, venomous snake bites. Uh, They can raise the dead. Um, Incredible works are being done through these guys. Uh, In Acts, they'll they'll talk about uh, Peter and Paul touching garments or handkerchiefs, and those handkerchiefs and garments being taken to those who were sick and them being healed. Uh, so incredible things are happening through the apostles. Maybe his contentment is just because he's an apostle. Maybe God has gifted him somehow, some way, with this ability to be content. Well, that's not it, is it? Maybe maybe he's just one of those people. Maybe he's a really laid-back person. Um, and contentment comes easier for him than it does for other people. Maybe that's why he can be so content and his situations and his circumstances where most of the rest of us would struggle Paul doesn't seem to struggle like that and so maybe it's just part of his personality you know you know people like that right it's there's they're laid back they're easygoing and nothing seems to ruffle them very much um, maybe maybe Paul's like that and maybe that's why he can have maybe that's why contentment comes so easily for him i think it's exactly the opposite if you were to do a study on Paul He's a type A person. He wants to go. He wants it his way. He wants to do things in a pattern the way that that he wants to do them. He's type A. And so him being restricted, his movements being restricted by this prison sentence here, I think would have ruffled him more than it would have ruffled a normal person. And for normal people, that would be quite the ordeal. So it's neither one of those things. So what, what is it? Well, look back in verse 11. If you, if you underline your Bibles, you may, you, know, you may want to underline this word. I'd never seen it before I started studying for this lesson. I understood the concept, but I'd never seen the word. In verse 11, he says, Not that I speak, not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned. He, he learned this. He wasn't born like this. This isn't part of his personality. This isn't a supernatural gift that he's been given, although those are certainly there in the New Testament. Certain men and women had abilities to uh, encourage people and for evangelism and for a variety of other things. These were spiritual gifts that God gifted them, miraculously so. But this is not one of those for Paul. This is something that he's, he's learned how to do. He's learned how to be content It's something that's inside him. It it doesn't have anything to do with what's going on outside. That's why when Jesus would wake up during the middle of the storm, he would look at the apostles and think, where's your faith? You're showing me that your faith is, is small, that it needs some work because of this storm that's going on inside of you. Yeah, the storm that's going on without. The physical storm is something to be... Noticed something to be dealt with, but it's much more important that the storm within them be dealt with because someone who's not content can be in the best possible situation and still be discontent, can't they? Have you seen that? I've seen that. You find somebody, um, say the weather is, is just perfect outside, and they're like, Well, A little dreary today, isn't it? I wish it was a little hotter. I get a little little cold sometimes, you know? You know those kinds of people, right? So this this, this point stands that whatever, however he learned how to be content, we can learn it too. And so tonight we're going to talk a little bit about how he learned to be content. What made Paul content? Well, flip back over to Numbers chapter sixteen. I think we can learn some things from from these guys too. Now we know that it's a learned ability. It's something that I can and should be working on. I'm struggling with how I go about doing it. How can I be content? If I struggle with contentment, how can I how can I do better? Um, number sixteen. We meet a couple of guys, Korah, Datham, and Abiram, three different guys. They're, they're Hebrews, um, and they are following Moses in the wilderness. At least they're in the generation that's following Moses in the wilderness. They're not good followers. Moses is a good leader, but these guys are not good followers. In fact, in Numbers chapter 16, we'll find out that these guys want to take the reins of leadership away from Moses, and they want to take it for themselves. And so, let's just read it. Numbers chapter 16. Uh, Starting in verse 1, he says, Now Korah, the son of Izhar, son of Kohath, son of Levi, and Datham, and Abiram, the sons of Eliab, uh, and On, the son of Peleth, sons of Reuben, took men. And they rose up before Moses with a number of the people of Israel. 250 chiefs of the congregation. 250 leaders among Israel followed these guys. This is not a small rebellion. This is a significant rebellion. Uh, And it's not just among the people this is among the leadership of Israel 250 of them chosen from the assembly well known men these guys are people that everybody uh, recognizes and respects in verse 3 they assembled themselves together against Moses and Aaron and said to them you have gone too far for in all the congregation for all in the congregation are holy every one of them and the Lord is among them why then do you exalt yourselves above the assembly of the Lord whoa Can you imagine being there that day when you see Moses who has done nothing but put himself behind all the people event after event. He's taken the hit so that the people can be more pleasing to God. In fact, on several occasions, Moses is going to say, blot me out, but keep them. It's very much like what Paul would say, uh, of Israel in Romans 10. Uh, I would that, that the whole nation would come to come to God and if they would, I, I would give up my own salvation. Paul uh, says that in Romans and Moses echoes those thoughts, I think here throughout his lifetime. And so to, for these men to say this about Moses is almost unfathomable, but it's the way they're looking at the world, right? When you're discontent, you see everything through those eyes. What has God done in the wilderness to make these people, to help them learn contentment? He's gone out of His way, hasn't He? He's given them manna every single day, morning and evening, for the last 40 years. Every day they wake up and there's new manna there. And sure enough, what He said was true. If you get too much, and, it, and it, some of it... Um, Lasts so you have you have leftovers right? Any of you guys like leftovers? I hate leftovers. So did so did God apparently. So yeah, the leftovers from the manna would uh, would uh, would decay. They'd be bad. It'd be, it would not be edible. And so every morning it was an opportunity for them to trust Him, and He's building in this trust. Every morning you go out there, and sure enough, you're going to find me faithful. Will you be faithful back? It's kind of, it's, it's what God's, I think it's one of the things he's trying to get across in the manna and the quail incident. And he does give them quail on one occasion, multiple occasions. They complain that they don't have enough meat. They're tired of this manna. They're being fed by bread from heaven and they're tired of it. The gall of this people, right? So uh, God sends down quail and he's going to send so much quail, um, that they can't even eat it all. One person would gather enough for a small army, and it would go bad, and and, um, and and God would punish the people there that day because of their discontent. Here you find a similar incident in Numbers chapter 16, where these three guys, Korah, Datham, and Abiram, their discontent has caught on. Did you remember how many guys they brought with them? 250 chiefs of the people, well-respected men, men who ought to have known better, men who have led through predicaments like this in the past, fell prey to this one. I wonder why. Discontent is a dangerous sin. And it's contagious. In fact, more contagious than, say, the common cold. I know that because these guys... Built into their society this epidemic of discontent. And you're going to see what happens to them in just a second. Moses is going to make a deal with them. He's going to have a showdown, basically, uh, between him and Korodatham and Abiram. And whoever uh, God smiles at, that'll be the leader of Israel. And whoever he condemns, they'll be swallowed by the earth. So it's a pretty big... Pretty big deal. Um, So, start in verse 16. Moses said to Korah, Be present, you and all your company before the Lord, you and they and Aaron tomorrow, and let every one of you take a censer and put incense on it. And every one of you bring before the Lord his censer. 250 censers, you also, and Aaron each his censer. And so every man took his censer and put fire in them and laid incense on them and stood at the entrance of the tent of meeting with Moses and Aaron. And then Korah Assembled all the congregation against them at the entrance of the tent of meeting. And the glory of the Lord appeared to all the congregation. And the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron saying, Separate from yourselves from among this congregation that I may consume them in a moment. So already we understand that Moses is God's chosen one. If we we weren't already on uh, to that fact, now we know. And he's saying, you pull yourself away from them and I'll make a brand new nation out of you and I'm going to destroy all of them. Moses pleads the congregation's case, but eventually Korah, Datham, and Abiram, and all of their family and all of their supporters are swallowed by the earth. The earth opens up and eats these, uh, this, this assembly of discontented people. It's contagious, and so we have to be careful with it. This is not something that we toy around with, this is something that we deal with. So how are we going to learn contentment? Well, flip back over to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. There's a word in there that we missed the first time that we need to find and underline. Call our attention to this word. Philippians chapter 4. Verse 13. Remember we said Paul... Wasn't born this way, right? He wasn't just born easygoing, just more liable to be content than discontent. That's not the way he was born. This is something he learned. This is not some super apostolic gift that God's given him. This is something he's learned. And so what has he done in order to learn this thing, in order to learn contentment? Well, we need to start in verse 13. Because that's, that's really where he started, I think. When he started wanting to learn contentment, this is where he started. I can do all things through him. Underline him. If you're writing your Bibles, underline him. Because this isn't about Paul. This is about Jesus. He starts putting his identity, who he is, everything about him emanates from Christ. That's... Paul's not concerned about anything um, with his own life. Everything else can can go to pot. Everything else can, can go awry. But as long as Jesus is with Paul, he's content. He's happy. And you see that in a prison cell on multiple occasions with Paul. Often discontentment happens when we think Something is lacking in our lives, or we wish something were different, right? Paul could be content in prison because he figured he could continue doing the mission God had given him from prison. Paul knew that God was in control, and he was going to work things out. Even if Paul died, he was confident God had orchestrated everything, and though it didn't prolong Paul's physical life, God would be faithful to keep his promises. Contentment. It's, it's all about the sovereignty of God. If I have a good grasp on the sovereignty of God, it's an awful lot easier for me to be content. If I struggle with the sovereignty of God, it's a lot awful lot easier for me to be discontent. By sovereignty, we mean that He's completely in charge. Sometimes we think we're in charge. I'm not. When we say sovereignty, we're saying that Jesus is completely in charge. And I trust that even if I were to die, He's going to be faithful to keep His promises. Because prolonging my life here isn't the point of my life. What's the point of my life? We'll bring honor and glory to Him, right? That's the point of my life. And so. I can do that in a prison cell. I can do that starving to death. I can do that being beaten. I can do that in the Colosseum. But I could also do that when everything's going great, when I have an abundance, when things are going my way. It's about mindset, right? So I think Paul learned contentment. I think the very first place he started was this idea of sovereignty. God is in charge no one else is he is completely 100% in charge and my resolution to that my firmness in that makes everything else okay everything's going to be just fine because he's completely in charge A few years ago, uh, Kelly and I started uh, this this diet called the Whole30 Diet, and I got off on it pretty quick, obviously, (laughs) but uh, you you could only eat certain foods. Um, You couldn't eat um, pasta, you couldn't eat any kind of sugar, any kind of refined sugar, all that was off off base. You couldn't have any kind of caffeine, none of that stuff, all that stuff was off base. Um, But the good thing is, it was only for 30 days, right? And after that, you you couldn't eat whatever you wanted, but you had a, more of a, uh, a variety in your diet, I suppose. Uh, you could eat like a pound of vegetables and a pound of meat. I really just wanted to eat two pounds of meat and no pounds of vegetables. But I think it's interesting that the 30-day uh, the thirty day thing was interesting to me. And we figured out that they were using that to just reset your system. Because they, they assumed... Or, through research, I'm assuming, uh, they, they found that after 30 days of being off these certain types of foods and these certain foods that are prepared in certain ways, that your body resets itself. Uh, and It, it kind of goes back to the way that it was intended to be, the way it was intended to run. Um, and so you could burn fat or whatever it was that they were trying to do. Um, I think we need a contentment reset. That, that month was really, really hard for me. But you know what happened after that month? I lost a lot of weight. I had better eating habits. I figured out some stuff, right? We need a reset for our contentment. If we're struggling with contentment, what are some things that we can do that will help reset us? Is there a time period and are there activities that we need to be doing during that time period that can reset us back to a contentment mode? I think there are. Um, I, I don't know how long that is. I would suggest a month just to start it with and see how it goes. Um, but I would think a good place to start would be a, a contentment journal, like a, a, a things that I'm grateful for, because those things are so easily overlooked, aren't they? If I'm not focused on things that I'm grateful for, that I'm thankful for, what what am I going to find? We'll find things to complain about, right? We tend to go to the lowest common denominator. And so we're going to look for ways to be unhappy, things to complain about, things to gripe about, right? We're very much more, we're more like Israel in the wilderness than we like to give ourselves credit for. So I think a good place for us to start, if we're struggling with contentment, would be to keep a, a list of things that we're grateful for, that we're thankful for, and review those every day. Right, look for new things, and you know what you're going to find—new things to be thankful for every day. Um, after so many things have been taken from you, one of the things I realized during that diet was I can live without some stuff. And there's some things that I'm really grateful for. There's some things that are bad for me that I miss. Isn't that weird? Missed ice cream, so bad. Missed sodas, so bad. Um, I got to a point when I was sitting in my office looking at one of my books, and I bent down to get the book, and I just about passed out because I caffeine. I didn't have enough caffeine in my body to keep myself going, I guess. But you find that kind of stuff when you reset. It's not easy. It's difficult to reset. But I think one of the things that we can do to help ourselves get back to a point where we can be content, where we can see things that we're grateful for, is to simply pay attention to those things, to note them, to draw our attention to them. Um, maybe that will help us as we strive for contentment. Paul reminds us again in 1 Timothy uh, 6 that uh, godliness with contentment is great gain. And so, That's what we're looking for. We're looking for ways to be content. Because our almost natural inclination is discontent, is griping, is complaining. But that's contagious. And so everyone around us bears the brunt and the effects of that kind of attitude. It's not healthy. It's not healthy for us. It's not healthy for anyone else around us. (coughs) Excuse me. And so we look for ways to find contentment, to learn contentment. And so my suggestion is very simple. Look for things that you're grateful for. Find things that you're uh, thankful for. Write those things down. Keep a list of those things. At the end of the month, go back through and read those things. And I think you're going to be amazed at how many things are on that list. And how many small things are on that list? Things that you probably never really thought about before. Your job. Probably some of the things that you complain about. You're going to find yourself being grateful for those things. We just need to reset. So that's what uh, I think one of the ways that we can learn contentment. Because, again, it's a learned trait. And so if we want to learn contentment, we've got to start focusing on it. We've got to draw attention to it. And tonight, if you're struggling uh, with your life with contentment, with uh, any of the things that so easily draw our eyes and our attention off of Christ, We would love to pray with you and for you that you can be absolutely everything that God would have you to be. To have a personality, to have a life, to be a person that is pleasing to Him. This evening, if you've not been baptized into Christ, that is the point at which our our sins are washed away. And we become brand new. A new creation. One who's solely focused on pleasing Him. And when everything else falls away, when everything else is in ruins, I can be content because my goal is pleasing Him. And I can do that in a prison cell or I can do that in a mansion as long as I'm thinking right. If we can help you in any way tonight, why won't you come as we stand and sing?
0: Someday you'll
4: Good evening, church family. Really quick, some announcements. Um, As a reminder, after services uh, this evening, uh, the pie and ice cream in the middle auditorium uh, after services tonight, also um, uh, Young at Heart has been postponed um, for next month, and if you're planning on going to the Beckley family mission trip, uh, please sign up before you leave. Updates are on a prayer list. Remember, continue to keep David Spurlock and Norman uh, Towney in your prayers if they're dealing with cancer. Keep Jimmy Wilgus in your prayers. Um, also, um, keep uh, the Hayes family in your prayers. Gene Hayes' sis- uh, sister passed away. Keep uh, Darren Caracos' family in your prayers. His cousin passed away. Also, uh, Mitt- There's two others that passed away I I got wrong this morning. Um, Eloise Hay's sister uh, passed away last week. Um, So keep uh, uh, Eloise in your prayers at this time. And also Linda Bragg Bell passed away as well. Uh, So keep that family in your prayers. Uh, Keep Terry Baker's mom in your prayers. She had a stroke. And also keep uh, Jimmy Wilgus' youngest sister, Patty, in your prayers as well. Uh, She had a heart attack last week as well. Uh, that's all the announcements I have at this time. If you had not had the opportunity to take the Lord's Supper, it has been prepared in the conference room. You may leave and do that now. We'll sing one more song and be dismissed in prayer. I sung number four hundred eighty-one, four hundred eighty-one.
0: Sing off me verses.
1: Oh, Jesus, I have...
5: Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we just come to you. thanking you for this another opportunity that you've blessed us with to come here and worship you. Father, just pray that everything that's happened in the building today, Father, has been pleasing in your sight. Father, we are mindful of the ones that are not with us due to sickness. Those that are on the prayer list, Father, those that are battling cancer. Father, those that are shut in, we just ask that they look to you for strength. And Father, just ask that you be with the doctors and nurses that tend to them. Father, we just pray that they can return to a normal portion of health. Father, we're mindful of the ones that are not here with us this evening. Uh, Some are traveling, Father, and we just ask you you give them safety to wherever they are going. Father, we are mindful of the ones that have chosen not to be here, Father, for whatever reason. Father, just pray that they look to you, and Father, just pray they lean on you for that guidance that they they need in their lives to, to come back here. Father, just be with, us, be with us as we go throughout our week. Um, just pray that everything we do, say, Father, um, is an example of you. Forgive us of the sins that we've committed. It's in your name we pray.